Why is it that people want to number the days that are left? Or are, are these the last days? It's got to be the last days. What's up, Disciple Makers? This is Dave Stovall, and you're listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast. Welcome. This is going to be a great episode today. This clip was taken from the Discipleship.org Collective, where Daniel McCoy and Renee Sproles are interviewing various people on various topics. It's a thing called Theology Thursdays. On this episode, they interviewed Dr. Gary Johnson about eschatology. And if you're not super nerdy, you may not know what that word means. It basically means end times. And if you're a skeptical person, which... I consider myself a recovering skeptic. You're going to want to listen to the end of this episode. Daniel and Renee go through some questions and doubts that skeptics usually wrestle with on the topic of end times, and I found it to be super helpful. So make sure you stick around after the break for that. All right, let's go ahead and dive in. This is Daniel McCoy, Renee Sproles, interviewing Dr. Gary Johnson. Well, hey, everybody. I hope you're doing well. Welcome to Theology Thursdays. And uh, today we're talking about a very important theological topic, and that is the topic of eschatology, uh, or kind of like the end times. And um, there seem to be a couple different approaches that people can take when it comes to eschatology uh, that aren't real fruitful. And when we get to the the interview with Gary Johnson, we're going to talk about what is a fruitful approach and a, and a biblical approach to, to these questions. But one of the uh, approaches that I think is really unhelpful is to kind of ignore eschatology, to ignore the questions of what happens at the end uh, in favor of really just focusing on this life. Um, I think that happens a lot within progressive Christianity, uh, where it's kind of like, you know, the only hell that really matters is the hell that we create here. The only heaven that really matters is the kind of utopia that we can create here. I think it also happens that that kind of de-emphasis of eschatology can happen uh, when it comes to kind of the health and wealth gospel and it's like our best life right now. So anyway, that would be one kind of unfruitful way of looking at eschatology. Renee, what's what's the other kind of unhelpful, unfruitful way of looking at these things? Yeah, uh, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking of friends I have who are really interested in eschatology and especially in light of COVID and all the things that are happening around the world in China and in India, they're, they're looking for all these clues in current events and opening their Bibles and trying to um, put the puzzle pieces together of what's happening in the end times. And um, while I understand, you know, that emphasis, it's so encouraging, like to think about, to think about Jesus's return is such a, a thing we're supposed to set our minds on and is so hopeful, but I think you can get lost in the weeds and it, it kind of um, overemphasizes our point in history, because mm-hmm. don't you think there were terrible, <laughs> terrible, terrible times, you know, when the Spartans were ruling and when the Greeks were ruling and um, Genghis Khan had his reign of, of power. And so all throughout history, there have been cataclysmic kind of events. And um, Gary Johnson's really helped us Kind of put all that in perspective this conversation helps us see like here's here's what we really can know for sure about the end times and here's um why it is essential to our christian hope and helping us live fruitful lives now which is what progressives you know are wanting and arguing against but when we focus too much on the yeah. hereafter so this was such a great conversation he's such an enthusiastic um articulate Mm-hmm. thinker, Christian thinker. And so I'm happy to say we are starting our video with Gary Johnson on eschatology. Today, we are pleased to have Gary Johnson joining us. Dr. Johnson has served in the preaching ministry for four decades. He now leads E2 as executive director full-time, coaching pastors and elders nationwide. He holds a Master of Arts degree in church history from Lincoln Christian Seminary, a Master of Ministry and Divinity degrees from Cincinnati Bible Seminary, 
and a Doctor of Ministry degree from Grace Theological Seminary in Indiana. Gary has taught as an adjunct professor for a number of seminaries, including Cincinnati Christian University and TCM Institute, a seminary serving Europe and Asia. Thank you for being here, Gary. It's a pleasure. Thanks for the invitation, uh, both Renee and Daniel. Thanks, Gary. So the first question, uh, we're talking about eschatology. And so could you define the word eschatology in a way that doesn't leave non-theologians mm -hmm. saying what? Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, you know, I uh, have six grandkids and I'm their Bible teacher. They're all homeschooled and uh, they go from freshman in college down to a first grader. So I love this question. And uh, uh, I take them through Revelation verse by verse uh, at a certain time in their uh, learning. And so here's eschatology. Think with me, biology. We take that suffix ology, which means the study of. And we take that first, B-I, and that's from the Greek word bios, which means life. And we put it together and we get biology classes as a study of life. It might be that in a funeral, we hear a eulogy, E-U-L-O-G-Y, study of, E-U in Greek means good. Put it together, a eulogy is a study of the good in a loved one's life who has passed on. So here it is, eschatology, ology is the study of eschatos means the last things so we put it together and we get eschatology is the study of last things last days last moments uh, it's it's not a hard word it's not a 50 cent word it's really worth maybe only 25 cents so the study of last things does that help very much yeah that's great that's great okay so why is it important for us in general, or the church as a whole, to really talk about mm -hmm. eschatology. Mm -hmm. Why do we oh. want to study this? Oh, it's it's got to be uh, on the stovetop of our study. Um, uh, and why it's important is there is something beyond death's door for everybody. Mm -hmm. And uh, someday I'm going to draw my last breath. So are the two of you. So is everybody. Uh, last I knew, death was 100%. And uh, I need to know what's on the other side of the door of death. My last breath here is my first breath someplace else. It's a journey that we all have to take. So, for example, uh, if a person is taking a trip of a lifetime, they've never gone to Israel. Oh, I want to go to Israel. So what are they going to do? They're going to study before they go to Israel, before they see Jerusalem and Bethlehem and so on. Maybe somebody's dream is to retire and go on an Alaskan cruise and uh, land tour. So they study all of the sites, Juno, etc. Well, in the same way, we are truly, every person going to take the trip of a lifetime beyond death's door. So I should want to study that uh, and be well equipped in understanding of what awaits me on the other side of death's door. So at Renew, we talk a lot about the essential elements of the faith and the important elements of the faith mm -hmm. and the personal elements of the faith. And when it mm -hmm. comes to eschatology, the study of the end mm -hmm. things, mm -hmm. uh, what are some essential elements mm -hmm. that you really can't take out without becoming a different mm -hmm. religion? Right. Um, I believe that there are some non-negotiables. Uh, I even call them the big three. And the three non-negotiables, in answer to that question, Daniel, eternal life is found in Jesus alone. If we, do, if, if we stray from that, we become another religion. Uh, Acts 4, verse 12, there is no other name given to all of us under heaven by which we must be saved. It is the name of Jesus, period. Um, so, similar to what his statement was the night before his death in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. These are not declarations of exclusivity. It is simply truth. And there is singular truth. Two plus two equals four in Austria. Two plus two equals four in Australia. Two plus two equals four in America. There is singular truth in mathematics. We go to the roof. We jump off from the roof. It doesn't matter if we're in Australia, Austria, or America. We're going to fall because of the uh, law of gravity. There is singular truth in physics. 
Why would we think that there's multiple truths, plural truths, in something called religion? There isn't. There is singular truth. And so first thing uh, of these three non-negotiables is salvation is in Jesus alone. A second one uh, is the second coming of Jesus. It is assured. And the very moment he splits the clouds, certain things are going to start happening. The destruction of evil, uh, a, a judgment of, of all people ever to have drawn the breath of life. There are certain things that will happen the very moment he splits the clouds at his second coming. So the second coming of Jesus is non-negotiable. And thirdly, there is a literal heaven and hell, not some figment of imagination, some not, uh, not some ethereal emotion. But those are three non-negotiables. I call them the big three uh, that uh, would be just some that I would bring to the discussion today. Mm-hmm. Well, I think what you said, you know, earlier when you talked about how, you know, there, there are things that are true and we mm-hmm. can't, you know, just, just make it fit our wishes. These are, these are true regardless of where you're at, who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, why is it that people feel like, especially when it comes to eternal matters, that it really becomes a matter of what they want to happen is what's going to happen, mm-hmm. especially well, around the time of funerals and, uh, you oh. know, we just, we, it feels very much like, well, what do you want it to be like? Okay, that's what it'll be like. Mm-hmm. Well, we, we live um, in a culture that loves choices. Um, an example, we go to a cheesecake factory. Been there, right? You, you, you two have been to a cheesecake factory, all right? Yeah. So they're going to hand us this menu that takes 30 minutes to read. It's one of the biggest menus I've ever seen uh, in a restaurant. And I'm grateful my wife, Leah, she does not like cheese. She likes Cheesecake Factory for one reason, but even then all of the different varieties of cheesecake are pretty much overwhelming. And uh, if we go, we already figure out in our mind what it is that we're gonna eat so we don't have to waste time reading that menu. We like options. Not everybody wants a salad. Not everybody wants a steak. Not everybody wants seafood. So this human mindset of choices, it enters into this thinking of life beyond death's door. We like choices and we're going to pick and choose what it is that we're going to believe. And when that happens, we do not submit to the sovereignty of one creator savior. Uh, So we like options on our vehicles that we buy. We like options on the degrees that we take in school, what majors we declare. We are a people who love options. Well, sorry, it's not going to happen when it comes to putting together on what's beyond death's door. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we don't like talking about death anyway. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, but before COVID especially, it was very taboo. And so mm-hmm. this kind of language is really it's kind of shocking even mm-hmm. even to christians you don't you don't hear a lot of sermons on mm-hmm. um this or on especially on hell but mm-hmm. on this subject in general and so that's good like that's very clear those three things that um are essential to the teaching but then we all know like there's a lot of discussion around this topic about like what it's really going to be like all the like woo woo theories and everything uh-huh. like people really love to talk about them uh-huh. So, like, what are some personal opinions when it comes to this? Like, what give sure. us the variety? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, uh, just as quickly, uh, in our limited time that we have together, we talk about three non-negotiables. There are three non-essentials uh, for people when it comes to those who believe in Christ and there is something beyond death's door uh, and something that is uh, not essential, uh, number one of three that quickly come to mind would be the millennial views. Are we going to be a pre-millennial? Are we going to be a post-millennial? Are we going to be an amillennialist when it comes to end of time eschatology, uh, last day issues? Um, and, you know, all of that, that brings in rapture, no rapture, seven years of literal uh, suffering, No, it's not going to happen that way. So number one, the millennial views. Number two, there are specifics about heaven that are purely speculative. We we can only speculate. There are some things in scripture that are very specific about heaven. There are those then that are speculative. For example, um, 
will there be animals in heaven? Now, I honestly believe that there, there will be animals on this new earth. There will be a new earth that God creates at the second coming of his son. The Bible speaks of it in multiple passages. Now, I believe in uh, this, what is called the concept of continuance, that Genesis 1 and 2, God has this beautiful sin-free earth. And what's on this sin-free earth? The most amazing animals that God has spoken into existence. And then in Revelation 21 and 22, the last two chapters of the Bible, it's, it's as if God picks up where he left off. And on this new earth, a home of righteousness, Peter calls it, where there can be no sin. I think it's very logical and legitimate for us to speculate. Will there be animals on earth? Sure. But now here comes the rub. Some people, oh, Fido will be there. Uh, oh, I loved Fido when I was growing up, my, my dog. And I'm not, I'm not going to lose any sleep over that. If somebody wants to believe Fido will be there, go ahead and believe Fido will be there. Uh, uh, so there are speculative issues. You know, somebody came up to me literally last week and said, Gary, will there be free will in heaven? And I said, well, I believe, you know, there's nothing in the Bible that says anything about that, but we can speculate. I think that there's going to be free will. It's just that we will be free from having to make a decision about anything that is evil because there will be no evil. Evil will be destroyed. So our kind of decisions are going to be, all right, in this land of uh, no end, will I climb mountains today with Jesus? Uh, will I go swimming with Jesus? What, what am I going to do today? In addition to praising and thanking and uh, uh, exalting my creator, my savior. So I think that there's going to be free will. It's just that we have no decision uh, for evil, uh, so to speak. So there are those those speculative issues. And then thirdly, there are people who just for whatever reason, they want to count down. Are these days the last days? Oh, it's got to be. It's the, it's the pandemic. This has got to be the last days. Or before it was, you know, the invasion of uh, some of the uh, Asian uh, Middle Eastern nations back in the days of Saddam Hussein. Oh, this is it, the last days. Well, we're still here. And it's you know, but I heard people preaching it was the last days. I'm going to just say that's all um, non-essential. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that last day stuff, like people love that stuff. Like, oh, yeah. I, just this week I had a conversation with a friend, and she's all about really digging in there. And um, mm -hmm. I don't totally get it, I'll be honest. Mm -hmm. that, um, well, again, it's a part of our uh nature our human nature we like to predict we like to know what's coming i'm sure the three of us we keep an appointment book uh and there are those dates ahead that we have uh ascertained and we're in some way shape or form going to be doing all that we can to pinpoint that time so i, I think it's part of our human nature to want to know what's around the corner, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. you said swimming, you said mountain climbing. <laughs> uh, I think that's actually a really profound point that uh -huh. it's not just going to be a cloud world with harps. I mean, could, could you speak on oh, that? Oh, not at all. Oh, yes, absolutely. Now, I do believe that if the three of us die before Jesus comes back, to be absent from the body, what did Paul say is to be what? Present with the Lord. Present with yeah. the Lord. Oh, we're going to yeah. be present with the Lord. Last breath here, first breath there for a person who dies in Christ. Now, there is a paradise. Jesus to the thief on the cross. Today you will be with me in paradise. They're not yet on a new earth. A new earth comes at the second coming of Jesus. So just where is this paradise? Where is this home uh, where we are home, present with the Lord? Well, Paul, in his second letter to the Corinthian church, he writes, I once knew a man caught up to the third heaven. Hmm, that's interesting. Third heaven. What did he mean by that? So, and obviously he's referring to himself. So that word heaven, what we want to understand is, example in the Psalms, 
the heavens pour forth rain. So here in this first heaven, we get rain, we get snow from our atmosphere, the first heaven. Uh, the heavens declare, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. So the sun, the moon, the stars, we look up at a, a starlit sky at night. It declares the glory of our God, the second heaven. When Paul says, I once knew a man caught up to the third heaven, the abode of God. So that's where we're going to be in the abode, the presence, the paradise of God. And then someday God's going to say, today's the day, son, you're going back. And Jesus is going to split the clouds. This earth with all of its sin is going to be destroyed. And God will speak into existence a new earth, a home of righteousness. And on that earth, we're going to climb mountains, plant gardens, uh, go, uh, go swimming, whatever it is. We're going to enjoy the fullness of eternity. And you know what? Just think about this. Um, one of my hobbies is mountain climbing. I've climbed many, many peaks. Um, and I'm not ever going to run out of breath. I'm never even going to have fear of falling and killing myself on a, a class five trail. Uh, it, it's going to be incredible. And Jesus, in Mark chapter nine, he went mountain climbing. He went to the top of the Mount of Transfiguration. And you know what? When, when the three of us and our loved ones, when we get to enjoy the fullness of this new earth for eternity, uh, because again, it's provided by our creator, we're, we're going to be worshiping in him in the midst of all of that. And he's omniscient. He's going to be so present with you while he is so present with me, uh, just as if uh, no one else is with us in that moment with the Lord Jesus. And we're going to have eternity to thank him and to thank him and to thank him, uh, to exalt him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It, it's beyond our comprehension. We, we cannot fathom in our minds nor explain with our words what it's going to be like. You are so right. I was driving down the road the other day thinking that very thing. What would it be like to live one day, one uh -huh. day without brokenness and uh -huh. sin? Yes. You're, like you're, my imagination can't really quite drum it up. It's, uh -huh. you it's know, somebody, fantastic. Oh, it is, it's, it is too fantastic. Somebody will say to me, oh, I can hardly wait for those streets of gold. And I go, not me. You can have all the gold you want. I want a sin-free zone. That's what I want. Yeah. No jealousy, no envy, no murder, no oppression, no racism. No, none of that's going to exist. And we cannot fathom what life like that will be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, okay, this is all really good news. I mean, really good news and mm -hmm. very clarifying news in terms of just your Christian walk. I mean, it just mm -hmm. it's like, like brings laser focus onto like making the most of your time mm -hmm. being intentional about being like gospel centered and mm -hmm. and this good good news and yet we're human we can mm -hmm. get off track so what are some pitfalls that we've seen through either church history or what when we're studying eschatology personally mm -hmm. where where can we go wrong because i think as humans we just swing from one extreme to the other sometimes mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. and we want to be sound in our yeah. study Right. No, that's a very, very good question. You know, not everybody's a Christian, obviously, and, and we have work to do. We've got untold billions of people who need the hope of Jesus. Um, and so they're teaching. They, they all have eschatology. Non-believers have a study of last things going on in their worldview. So, for example, Time is linear. There's a beginning, there's an end. Time is linear. So a secularist, uh, they might say, oh, time, it began with the Big Bang. Well, mm -hmm. secularists, they have an end of time. Uh, for some, they believe that there's going to be such a crushing movement of gravity that they, they believe Earth is going to be falling in on, on itself, and it's called the Big Crash. Some believe that it's going to be the big freeze, that as the universe continues to expand and grow uh, infinitely larger, that it will no longer hold heat. And when it no longer holds heat, it will be the big freeze. So big bang, a big freeze. There's an end to measured time, even for those who are not in Christ. I'm a, um, a, a post-humanist. Uh, Many of them believe that there's going to come a day when the human body is going to be obsolete. There's no need for it. 
and we're going to upload our essence into some miraculous cyberspace and we're going to exist in some great collective uh, and then that's going to come to an end but isn't it interesting even those who adamantly refuse to acknowledge Jesus they measure time with a beginning and an end are you ready for this and a middle we call it BC AD, AD, Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. They, refusing to acknowledge Christ, they have a middle, and they call it BCE, before the common era, and now we live in the CE, common era. Even they have a middle. Uh, and so I believe that for the Christian, Proverbs 4.23, we need to guard our heart, the wellspring of life. Uh, and... and the two of you are a huge part of a very important ministry, uh, Renew.org, and you are helping people understand that there is a, a grave, grave movement in and among the Christian uh, body, uh, and that being uh, progressive Christianity. And when you ask the question, Renee, what should we be thinking about here? It is very important to guard our heart, the wellspring of life, uh, as to teaching that would cause us to leave behind a sound hermeneutic. Remember, hermeneutics, the science of biblical interpretation. We have to have a sound uh, hermeneutic on how we interpret the Bible. And if we don't, we're going to easily be led astray from uh, a, a very solid hope that we have for life beyond death's door. I want to take a quick break and tell you about something cool happening over at Discipleship.org. It's our Discipleship.org collective. It's an online community for disciples and disciple makers. And if you fit in either one of those categories, then the collective is designed just for you. The website itself is super cool because it's basically like stepping into a virtual church building with a welcome center, an auditorium for our main events, and even classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective with all of its webinars, seminars, ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you personally or for your whole church. And this is a community, so you can also have the opportunity to connect with other disciple makers. And while membership is free, there's also a premium access option, which includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So head on over to discipleship.org slash collective and sign up for your free membership today. Well, I was just thinking, I mean, I read about this stuff all the time. You just hit my trigger word, progressive Christianity. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> and they, I mean, they they say it distracts us from the problems of our day and it, mm -hmm. it makes us not focused, but it doesn't really, it's, it's mm -hmm. not, that's not true. Not um, true having at all. a hope mm -hmm. for the future, storing mm -hmm. up treasures, mm -hmm. you know, knowing mm -hmm. that things are going to pass through fire and God's going to, on mm -hmm. the other side of that, if mm -hmm. he'll in some way redeem it, if it was mm -hmm. done for his glory. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. so, that's, that's so encouraging. Mm -hmm. That's so. Yeah. Uh, and if, if a progressive believer uh, says to me, oh, you're, you're ignoring the issues of this very moment. Not at all. I want to point as many people as I can to Jesus because he is the one who is going to give them hope for this moment as well as for every future moment of their existence. And I'm going to do all that I can to somehow make their path to cross, at least, you know, Paul in Acts 16, he meets this incredible businesswoman named Lydia there in Philippi, and they're at the river. And he engages her. Uh, and a very fascinating statement is written by Dr. Luke in verse 14. I pray it many, many, many times. And the Lord opened Lydia's heart to receive Paul's message. Jesus made her teachable in spirit, opened her heart, her interior world, to receive what it was that Paul was saying about Jesus. And I pray that many a time when I'm in conversation with people. While they're speaking, et cetera, posing their position or their question, oh, Lord Jesus, please, you did it before, do it again right now, please. Open this person's 
heart to receive my message, what I'm about to say. And it's not that you and I don't give a, a whip stitch about what's going on in the present moment. We most certainly do. And that's why we would want people to discover Jesus now in preparation for what's beyond death's door. Yeah. Um, and my progressive friends are going to think that, you know, because I believe in heaven and hell and I believe in an end point when Jesus returns, they're going to see that as naive. Mm -hmm. um, but the truth is when you, when you don't, bring God into the picture, mm -hmm. you really have to make it all about right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how many failed utopias have we experienced from people thinking that they, you know, they can create that paradise here on earth and it ends up being hell on earth. Mm -hmm. um, I, I would say the progressive who puts the faith in the government to be able to, you know, bring about these things, I'd say that person's mm -hmm. incredibly naive. Um, so you were, you were a minister for a number of years and what is the craziest end times <laughs> well, I'm probably old enough to be both of your parents. I, I, I'm, I'm just going to oh guess God. your age. Um, but this is my 40th year as a preacher. My 40th anniversary is this October. Um, and um, I can tell you right, thank you very much. I can tell you right now, there have been some crazy things. But one of them, I go back into the 1980s. And I wish I still had it because I, I did own this at one time. And there was a guy in 1988, uh, Edgar Wisnett, W-H-I-S-E-N-A-N-T. Uh, -E he retired from NASA. He was an engineer and he was a lay Bible student. Uh, he was from Little Rock, Arkansas. And he predicted the, the rapture of the church on September, he said it's going to happen between September the 11th and the 13th of 1988. And I'm here to tell you that little book that he wrote went across the country and I bought one. I, I got my hands on it and, and I read it. I can still remember where I was when I had this. Um, and obviously I uh, threw it into the trash and whatnot. And well, what is today's date? Uh, we're in April, aren't we, of 2021? I guess the rapture did not take back then. Well, when it didn't happen on September the 11th through the 13th of 1988, then his book called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Could Be in 1988 obviously was wrong. Well, then he republished it, and it was called 89 Reasons why the rapture could be in 1989. So that that's got to be up there in the you know in the top 3 for sure uh, in my lifetime my short lifetime as to some of the crazy stuff that I've seen about uh, end times. Now I haven't read that book. Um, I was I would have been 3 when the first one came. <laughs> See what I told you? <laughs> the, uh, I'm trying to put it together. It's like 88 I'm, I'm thinking, okay, 40 years before that would be 1948, mm -hmm. which a lot of people would consider a significant prophetic date, right? When, mm -hmm. Is that yeah. when Israel became a nation? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, I'm just trying to put it together. I'm thinking that must have been, there must have been a connection there, 40, yeah. like a generation. Well, mm -hmm. and well, and let, let me tell you, I don't remember any of his 88 reasons why. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that was one of, one of the 88. Uh -huh. Well, you know, and this this kind of thinking has has gone on for centuries. I can remember uh, back, in, not that I was living then, but I just remember from my study of church history, and and I love eschatology. I love reading about it. And uh, there was um, a farmer back in uh, eighteen forty four, I believe it was. His name uh, was William Miller. He was a lay preacher. He lived in New England, mm -hmm. and and this is probably one of the greatest hoaxes of Christianity in America about the return of Christ. This guy, he took the four apocalyptic books in literature. So we've got Ezekiel, Daniel, Zechariah, Revelation, the four uh, books with apocalyptic literature. He took that, he took his Cruden Concordance. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those old concordances. Well, this is back in the day, Daniel, when books had pages, I just want you to know. So, uh, and he took his Cruden Concordance and his King James Version of the Bible, and he predicted the return of Jesus on October the 23rd, or excuse me, the 22nd of 1844. 
And he published, he taught, he preached, he traveled. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And here's the sad uh, st- part of that story. People believed him. All up and down the eastern seaboard of our country, people sold their homes, they quit their jobs, they sold their farms, they gave their food away, they gave their savings away. Now just think, this was just before the Civil War. And people went out all along uh, the seacoast, they went out in the country, they were waiting on the morning of October the 22nd of 1844. And there was no return of Jesus. And then it became October the 23rd of 1844. And literally, that day is called the Great Disappointment. Hmm. So now you have tens of thousands of people who are homeless and they're penniless because they said, We're not going to need any of this. We're not going to need a house. We're not going to need money. And they're penniless. They're hopeless. And, and this is what happened. Many people left the church uh, and and they said the Bible is wrong. The Bible wasn't wrong. The teacher was wrong. Mm -hmm. And therein lies what I believe something that's very important for us today. Every one of us Mm -hmm. uh, who are charged with the responsibility of teaching the word of God, we better have it right uh, because we're going to be held uh, very seriously accountable. So there, there have been some weird things in my short lifetime, but then even th- that's reflective of what's been going on for a long time. And, and as we spoke a moment ago and, and Renee said, why is it that people want to number the days that are left? Or are, are these the last days? It's got to be the last days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it is kind of an obsession. Like, it, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I, maybe I'm just simplistic, but you know, Jesus said he doesn't even know mm-hmm, the day. Yep, mm-hmm. Only the Father knows. Mm-hmm. Why in the world do we think we, <laughs> we would know? Uh huh. Mm-hmm. It just seems. It just seems like I don't know. It doesn't seem helpful in the same way that, like, maybe like you were talking about earlier, dreaming and imagining mm-hmm. about heaven. You know, the mm-hmm. the specifics of heaven, the mountains, mm-hmm. or the you know what mm-hmm. we'll be doing each day. That seems helpful and cool and fun but mm-hmm. this like it, it almost seems like it gets um the an, like an obsession is the only word i can think of with mm-hmm. people it's well it comes back to this control issue again we like to control not only our calendar our appointment book but we like to have some degree of control and again this is far beyond our pay grade we have to understand that the second coming of jesus is in one's domain of control, and that would be our creator and our sustainer. And I need to choose to live every day under his authority. I need to submit my life in humility and dependency upon my creator, sustainer, savior. It's a daily decision. Sometimes it's a moment-to-moment decision to live under the lordship of Christ. So, um, Okay, so there's the end time stuff, and I do like to think about heaven, but um, hell actually can be an encouraging doctrine as well. I mean, I think I've always thought of it, heaven, good, hell, bad, Mm -hmm. heaven, Mm -hmm. we want to think about it, hell, we don't, but it actually can Mm -hmm. be kind of motivating. And um, again, progressive Christianity kind of wants to just erase it. Mm -hmm. Like it's a um, hell is now, it's a living, like was Mm -hmm. a living hell when there's social injustice or poverty or... Mm -hmm unclean water. Um, so how can you reconcile, you know, a, a loving God with hell? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. Uh, that is a very pivotal question that I think that all of us as Christians should be able to articulate with a loved one in a family, a spouse, a parent, uh, a sibling, a child, a grandchild. Uh, and this is w- what I believe uh, should be at the heart of our conversation. Our loving Father has given to us this incredible gift called free will. Uh, it's just like Leah and I, we have been married for 43 years. I don't force Leah to love me, nor does she force me to love her. It is a choice. And similarly, God does not force us to love him. And if I, for whatever reason, choose to reject him, choose not to want him, he's not going to want me in a uh, 
what should make me think that he's going to walk with me throughout all of eternity? It's a, it's a life of separation. I don't want you. Uh, here, here, talk to the hand, God, or whoever you are. Talk to my hand. What would make me think that he would want me then in a relationship throughout all of eternity when I don't want him? So when it comes to this issue of hell, uh, God doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He does not want them to be separated from him, which is uh, going to be one of the most grievous forms of eternal suffering uh, in this place of literal torment. Uh, and so... Uh, just like in a, a family, when, when we can lovingly uh, treat one another with unconditional love, people don't have to learn uh, earn their love. We can give people a foretaste, just a, a little taste of what it's going to be like in this eternity with a father. I cannot talk about heaven. Uh, if I've been invited someplace to lecture on heaven, I have to lecture on hell. Uh, and, you know, our progressive friends, they're going to say, oh, Jesus, there's nothing in the Bible about hell. That is a pagan uh, 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 development. No, it isn't. Not at all. And they can do all the dancing they want to around those words uh, in the original languages. Uh, our Savior Jesus said more about hell than anybody else. Mm -hmm. And he came to die so that nobody would have to experience that. And so I think that uh, we have to uh, speak truth to people in love, but not be ashamed. I'm going to be bold. You know, Paul said, "Don't uh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to all who believe, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And we have nothing of which to be ashamed. Um, I, if I say that I love somebody and then I don't tell them, yes. <laughs> I about Jesus and the good news and, and what awaits beyond death's door. I, I don't really love that person. So, mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure that you two uh, have either seen or used in your teaching moments uh, that interview with uh, uh, Penn. Is that the magician yeah. Penn and Teller? Yeah. Remember, the he's very outspoken as an atheist. And uh, he, he just said, how much do you have to hate a person not to tell them about Jesus? If that's your belief. Um, so anyway. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, I, I think I think it's really important to carve out kind of a um, something between two extremes. And so mm -hmm. on one hand, you have the extreme of kind of a sensationalistic obsession, as Renee mm -hmm. called it, with the minutia mm -hmm. of end times events, right? Mm -hmm. But on the other end, you have kind of a, a smirk towards those who take God, take Jesus seriously when he talks mm -hmm. about heaven and hell. And so how can we, um, as, as people who want to be disciples of Jesus, who mm -hmm. follow Jesus, follow the teachings of Jesus and teach, you know, the teaching of Jesus, how can we um, kind of avoid both of those extremes mm -hmm. on the one hand, not getting obsessed with the things that are, that they're not essential. Mm -hmm. um, but at the you know on the other hand, we're not swinging the opposite extreme and just being really tentative mm -hmm. and kind of mm -hmm. like, well, you know, it's we don't mm -hmm. really know about the end. It, mm -hmm. You know, still have a boldness, still have a, mm -hmm. a confidence in what Jesus clearly mm -hmm. taught about mm -hmm. these things. Sure, mm -hmm. well, that's a great question, and um, I I would bring it down to uh, one response. I, I think that at the core of it. We could talk about that, Daniel, for quite some time, but I think, let me just share with you what I think is at the core, and that is Luke 6, verse 40. In that passage, Jesus said, every student will become like his teacher. So, I'm going to be very careful as to who it is who teaches me. I'm going to Try to know that person's background, that person's theological belief system, that person's um, interpretation of Scripture, that person's walk with God. Because Jesus says every, uh, every student becomes like his teacher. I'm going to venture uh, that the two of you remember the name of your kindergarten teacher. <laughs> do you remember, Renee? Yeah, I do. What was, what was his or her name? Mrs. Mullins. 
Mrs. Mullins, Daniel, Daniel. <laughs> uh oh, uh oh. <laughs> well, mine was Mrs. Wampler, and that goes back to 1961, let me tell you. Uh -huh. And uh, so the point is teachers, they have an impact on their students. You know, Renee, you're, you're teaching your children. You're, you're having an impact on them. Daniel, you're a teacher as well. You have an impact. I have taught in many of our seminaries, and I would like to think that I've had an impact. When my sons were growing up, I would quote that verse to them. Every student will become like their teacher. Both of my sons went to Christian universities, but I still engage them in conversation. Hey, what'd you learn in school? What was that class like this last semester? It's, I want to know what's being taught. And here's why. I have had friends in seminary, now remember, this is graduate level, back in the days when I was in seminary, and Psalm 1, verse 1 through 3, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and we know the rest of the passage. Now, did you see that progression? Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the way of sinners. He starts walking with them. Oh, and then he starts standing with them. Uh-oh, and then he starts sitting with them. When somebody who is influential in my life as a teacher, and that person does not walk closely with God, that person has a theology that is not true to the scriptures, and I'm enamored with that person, I'm going to start walking with them. Oh, listen to that. I'm going to be intrigued. I'm going to turn my head and start listening, standing with that person. Oh, and then I'm going to sit at that person's feet. And Jesus said, I'm going to become like my teacher. So in answer to your question, what, what advice would I have on the study of eschatology? Oh, my stars. You make certain, certain you are being taught well from someone. You examine that person's credentials uh, before you start buying into all of their courses or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. I, I can't say amen to that enough because when I really started, um, you know, okay, there's certain years when you're stay-at-home mom, like you're just surviving, you're reading your Bible and you go to mm -hmm. church on Sunday and you try to keep your children alive. Mm -hmm. But then you get more brains. <laughs> you get more brain space. And you uh -huh. and I did start listening to other sermons, reading other books. Um, and yeah, there's so many, there's so many perspectives out there. I would really mm -hmm. encourage people to if like me, if you didn't know who was sound mm -hmm. and who wasn't sound. Ask someone who yeah. knows, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like ask you, ask Daniel, look on, mm -hmm. you know, renew or mm -hmm. ask your pastor who's trusted, mm -hmm. like they can point you in the right direction. Absolutely. And now that I've got mm -hmm. some experience with that, I can point my girlfriends in the mm -hmm. right direction. They're like, oh, I'm listening to so-and-so. I'm like, mm -hmm. halt, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> hang on. Like maybe we could like put that one on hold and try these mm -hmm. others instead. And it's really made a huge difference. Mm -hmm. Now, and when we do that, you brought brought up a great point here, Renee. When we do that, it's very important. If I can take a teaching of that person, maybe it's a passage that they have just um, spoken on, and I open the Word of God and say, now look at this. This is what that person said. Is this square contextually with the Word of God? Yes. Uh, and Because I want your generation. I want you to do more with the kingdom of God than my generation did. I want you, your generation, you who are younger, to advance the kingdom of God. And then I want your children, my grandchildren, to do more to advance the kingdom of God than we ever did. Uh, that's Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5. Arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They won't contend with their enemies uh, or put to, be put to shame when they contend with their enemies in the gate. A warrior does not amass an arrow collection in his quiver. He sends an arrow where he cannot go. That's the context. It's a war context. It has nothing to do with birth control. And so the arrow goes where the warrior cannot, uh, contending with the enemy in the gate. The enemy, our one enemy, is the kingdom of darkness. And I don't want your generation or your children, the next generation, to be put to shame as you fight evil. And you need to do all that we did not get done against the kingdom of darkness. Uh, that's a lot on your shoulders.
And to that end, we have to have a sound hermeneutic. We cannot be silent. We have to keep teaching. And that's why I believe that God's favor and blessing is resting all over Renew.org. Uh, because you're not going to be silent. The Holy Spirit will give you a boldness as well as a platform by which to continue to shout truth from the mountaintops. There's a lot of... I just want to say amen, amen. (laughs) (laughs) Amen, okay. Now, uh, there's a lot of cynicism uh, in our culture right now about all things Christian. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. With regard yeah. to even even some of our most uh, basic ethical, mm-hmm. you know, pronouncements mm-hmm. like you know, forgiving your enemies, all that sort of thing, it's all under attack. Um, right. mm-hmm. Let alone the cynicism towards what what Christians believe about the end mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. So they're gonna. A lot of people are gonna say, well, what makes that story true and these other mm-hmm. stories not true? You know, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. So why do we why do we have confidence in what Jesus says about these things, mm-hmm. as opposed to all these other, whether it be other world religions mm-hmm. or whether it be other cultural uh, eschatologies, why do we have mm-hmm. our confidence in mm-hmm. what Jesus says about these? Mm-hmm. I can't. Well, let me tell you, uh, Daniel and Renee, both of you have made a decision in free will. You've exercised this beautiful gift that God has given you in free will to submit your lives under the authority of the living word of God. And that's, that's why you have this confidence. Uh, I've made that decision. I'm going to live believing until my dying day that 2 Timothy 3.16 is real. All scripture is God-breathed. It comes from God. God cannot lie. So therefore, not only is the word inspired, the word is inerrant, it is without error, and it is infallible, it's incapable of error. I have chosen to embrace that conviction, so have the two of you. And therefore, we're able to live with an unbridled joy in the midst of hardship. Jesus in John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble. Will, not maybe, not perhaps, not might. No, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And so the best is yet to come. And we choose to live under the authority of Scripture. We all have friends and family. We all have neighbors. We have many strangers whom we have never met yet who choose to exercise their free will not to live with a belief in the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. And so... They're going to ridicule our belief in life after death. They're going to ridicule uh, our intent to forgive, to bear with one another. Forgive whatever sins you've uh, committed uh, or have committed against you. They're going to laugh at us uh, to learn to be content with what we have and not pursue this American nightmare of more. More is never enough. It's not an American dream. It's an American nightmare. Um, So, Well, so... Uh, last question. We're almost out of time. So, um, and I, yeah, I can't, I can't say I, I can't, I don't, can't agree with you more mm-hmm. that um, if Jesus is who he says he is, then scripture is what he says scripture is. Mm-hmm. And that's like, that's the bottom line for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he, he says, you know, God says mm-hmm. when, when he's talking about, books that are written in the old testament mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. it's god's word and it's not mm-hmm. just some human author's word like a lot of people say interpreting god our experience mm-hmm. of god so yeah that's been a big one for me um but for you personally as you've studied this topic and i can see you're super passionate you're probably passionate about everything <laughs> yeah <laughs> i can be about this topic <laughs> yes i am um what's blessed you the most what's been the most beneficial to you as you've studied mm-hmm. this throughout your life um uh there are there are so many verses in in the scriptures about this. And, and you know, let me answer that question with, um, you know, we we take the word in every day. Logos, John one. In the beginning was the word. Logos, uh, and then verse fourteen, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So we have the embodied word. A moment ago, I mentioned all scripture is God-breathed. That's the word graphe, all written scripture. So we've got written scripture. We've got embodied scripture. Okay, one more. 
when Paul was talking about the body, uh, the armor of God, Ephesians 6, and in verse 17, he says, um, and take with you the sword of the Spirit, which is the word mm. of God. And that's the word rhema, meaning the spoken word. So what has helped me uh, most, not only about eschatology, but about every ology of life, I want to bring into my life every day the bread of life. I want to read its pages. I want to find Jesus on every page. And I want to feed from the bread of life embodied me. And then I'm going to speak. It's going to just spill out. Jesus said in Matthew 12, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever's in my interior world is going to come out here. So I want the rhema, the spoken word, to be a part of my life. And when, when I, Renee, encounter the word of God, that it just shouts hope about what is yet to come, eschatos, last things. I'm here to tell you, I'm going to be filled with hope because that word says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what the Lord has in store for those who love him. It's, it's beyond my mental capacity. You know, there was a guy in Tennessee, I, maybe you read of his story in the Christian Standard some years ago, and, and uh, his name was Glenn. He was home with the Lord, and he married very well. Uh, his wife was this incredible cook. And uh, at home, they just had this uh, saying, you know, they'd eat this meal. And at the end of the meal, uh, Glenn's wife would say, hey, Glenn, keep your fork. That's all she would say, keep your fork. And Glenn knew the best was yet to come, dessert. And uh, I met a family. They teach on the faculty at Johnson University. I just saw him a few weeks ago. And he told me the story of his dad's funeral, who... Likewise, that was a huge part of their home life. And when his dad died just some months ago, he went to his mom and dad's house, got a fork, mm. took it to the funeral home and slipped it into his dad's shirt pocket there in the casket. Mm. And people were asking, what's that all about? And David was able to say, my dad always believed that the best was yet to come. Mm. And that for me, I just keep reminding myself. The best is yet to come. And why would I want to keep that to myself? Mm. I want my wife, my children, my grandchildren, my family, my friends. I want people to experience that through Jesus. Uh, the best is yet to come. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much, Gary. Renee, yeah. go for it. I'll let you have the last word. No, no, I'm just amening. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this has been good. Very helpful. Uh -huh. Yes. Yeah, really appreciate it, Gary. Yeah. Well, and let me just end with this thought. I want you to know there's a lot that I don't know uh, about this topic. Volumes and volumes of books have been written by brilliant people, and I'm not one of them. <laughs> I'm just a, uh, a bumpkin who knows a little bit uh, to be encouraged and to be an encourager of Barnabas to others. So I, I just want you to know and those who might be tuning in to your podcast mm -hmm that in all sincere humility, I have much to learn about this. And the best we can do is encourage each other towards faithfulness. Mm -hmm. and, Absolutely. And you've done that. God, well, thank you. And, and you know, God never called us to be successful. Jesus in Revelation 2 verse 10, he says, be faithful to the point of death and I'll give you the crown of life. There's our calling. So that was a very helpful conversation with uh, Gary Johnson. And I would like to take just um, three, four minutes here at the end and just kind of give a little bit of time to the skeptical um, side of things. Because I think a lot of people now, um, especially younger people, are wondering, okay, why should we take the Bible seriously when it comes to these matters of, you know, the afterlife and eternal matters? Because, I mean, they're sometimes they're not easy to think about, um, especially when it comes to like hell. And so, um, yeah, Renee, I mean, what are some of the maybe skeptical questions people ask or, or maybe just some of the, um, yeah, some, some of the thoughts people have now that, that would make uh, what we just heard a little bit less easy to swallow? Well, I think the concept of hell is really an unpalatable 
like at least right now, maybe it hasn't always been um, in history, but I think people are really skeptical of the idea of, of an eternal separation from God and um, how can that actually be believable? How could a good God do that to people, send people to hell? And, um, and yeah, that can be a real stumbling block. I know yeah. you've done some writing on that, um, that particular topic, I think. I remember reading something yeah. you've written. Yeah, and, and I think it's pretty understandable if people can think of it in terms of, okay, there are, you know, there are people who don't want God in their lives and they, they just don't love God and they want to be the boss of their own life. And so in the sense that, okay, hell really is a reluctant permission for those people to get their way. Like, okay, you don't want God, you don't have to have God. And that's what hell is, it's the absence of God. Um, but I think what's truly difficult for people is all the people in the middle who maybe they don't know about God. Uh, maybe they're in a different religion, that sort of thing. So I think that, um, or, or the people who are just, they're skeptical, but they can't seem to help being skeptical. Um, so that whole group of people in the middle, I think that's a lot harder to, to swallow. Um, you know, so what would you, what would you tell them? The skeptical people in the, what did you say about those skeptical people yeah. in the middle? I mean, Not to your I, Christian friends, but your, your secular friends. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll just tell you what I tell myself because these are things I wrestle with. And you, you feel deeply when you think about, uh, you know, the skeptic that you walked with for, you know, months and then they go ahead and become an atheist. And it's like, this is really not easy because uh, you you see where they're at and and you see that they're not necessarily wanting to not believe. So what I tell myself for what it's worth, um, just to kind of help me cope with the doctrine of hell on the days where it's very difficult to think about um, are, are just a couple things. One, um, you know, biblically, uh, hell is not presented as a one size fits all. I think that's really been helpful for me to, to think through that, uh, you know, when Jesus was talking to some of the Galilean towns, he says, look, if Sodom and Gomorrah had seen what you've seen, they would have repented. Uh, and so I tell you the truth on the day of judgment, it's going to be easier for them than for you. And that seems to presuppose that um, judgment isn't a one size fits all, you know, that, that there is a sense of fairness uh, in response to people's actions and especially in, in response to people's uh, proximity to Jesus. What did they do with Jesus? Um, based on what they knew. And so, so that's one thing, you know, that it, it doesn't seem like a one size fits all. That seems to help me. Uh, number two uh, is just that Jesus uh, said that he's going to be the judge, um, you know, and, and so look, there are still things about hell that are bothersome for sure. But at the end of the day, if I can trust Jesus, and I know I can, he's the one who's proved it, that I can trust him. Um, then I can I can leave these matters in his hands, knowing that he's going to take care of it and he's going to do what's right um, because he's he's proven himself. So those those are just a couple of thoughts that have helped me, um, especially as I have walked with skeptics and I've read a lot of skeptics, um, you know, to be able to think through, OK, number one, it's not a one size fits all. Number two, I can trust Jesus. Um, and, and if, you know, the thing about Jesus is. Um, you know, some people who are going to be skeptical about the Bible's view of the afterlife, I think it's really helpful to focus on, well, there is one guy who went there and he came back and we can, we can you know, trust his perspective on things because he's been there. And obviously he was there. He was, uh, you know, in eternity long before he was in, incarnated. But, uh, but the point is we, we can trust in Jesus. And so even on the days that are tough, we can, we can leave it in his hands and we can be okay. Does that sort of make sense? Yeah, I love that. It really does reflect the measured judgment we see all throughout scripture. You made me think, you know, the, the Old Testament law, you know, um, mm -hmm. everything's not the death penalty. And there's not even, we break a food law, you don't even see a penalty. So there's measured judgment, which we would all do well to remember in our own lives. And also, yes, just trusting Jesus. What great hope we have and we're not none of us is immune from needing to preach that to ourselves are we <laughs> day in and day out <laughs> mm -hmm. you know we need reminding of that it's not a one and done you know some intellectual ascent and we're done we want to um we, we want to really 
ask God to imprint that on our hearts and help us grow in our faith and our trust in the one who is really trustworthy because it is a great hope. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the, you know, as, as I think about the therefore, when it comes to thinking about the end times and thinking about eternity, um, you know, I'm not going to rewrite what the Bible says. I don't have that authority. It, it, it would be absolute, absolutely um, arrogant for me to think that I could. And so, look, it says what it says. Jesus said what he said. So really the only therefore that makes sense of me having trouble thinking about people in hell, the only therefore that makes sense is evangelism and making disciples. Um, that's the only thing I can do with it that makes any sense. Yeah, it makes it very urgent, doesn't it? It's not just hopeful for us, but I, I look around at the people I know and um, it brings great clarity to what we should be about. Absolutely. Great discussion. Such a great, great conversation with Gary. I appreciate that so much. Yeah. Well, guys, thanks so much for joining us with these uh, seven weeks of Theology Thursdays. We've had a blast. And I hope it's been helpful for you as well. And uh, a lot of these um, authors that we've had on, or a lot of these speakers that we've had on are actually authors of uh, the theology books that are going to be coming out with uh, Renew.org in, in this year, 2021, uh, called the Real Life Theology Series. So like Gary Johnson's writing our book on what's called The End. Um, so anyway, check out those books if you want uh, to expand on what we've talked about here. But thank you so much for joining us. And I hope it's been helpful. It's been an honor. Bye. Thanks so much for listening today, guys. I hope that the episode encouraged you and, and maybe you walk away with something that you didn't already know before. You know, we're approaching the end of this year of 2021 and a lot of people are making plans for the holidays, thinking about, you know what, Thanksgiving's around the corner. But you know what's more important than Thanksgiving that happens in November? That's right, the National Disciple Making Forum, hosted right here in Nashville, Tennessee at Brentwood Baptist Church, November 4th and 5th, and you'll still get out in time to go visit your weird uncle for Thanksgiving. Go to discipleship.org and purchase your tickets today, and I look forward to seeing you there. All right, I'll see you all in the next episode.